John chapter 14. We'll continue our study through the gospel according to John. During the Christmas season, um, it's important to talk about death. This may seem a little odd at first, but stick with me here. Um, Some of us in this room will especially miss loved ones this week. It'll be the first or maybe the 15th Christmas without that person, and you still miss them. And this week of all weeks, we need to weep with those who weep, even as we rejoice with those who rejoice. Facing the death of a friend, a relative, a loved one, is never an easy process. Even even when death follows a long life well lived, there are still deep emotions. There are still sometimes puzzling questions that cloud our thoughts. Sometimes our grief threatens to overwhelm us. Sometimes the lights and and even the sentimentality of Christmas, of the Christmas season, sometimes they trigger thoughts of grief and loneliness and, and even despair. Yet as Christians, we are not reduced to merely saying that someone has passed away. Instead, we're able to face the truth that that person has actually died. It's okay to say that someone has died because as Christians, we're not afraid of death. We know that to die is to suffer death. We know that death is real in the same way that sickness is real. That poverty is real, that injustice is real, that loneliness is real, that fear is real. And we can be realists in all of this because of the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope that began to be fulfilled that first Christmas. Recently, I was reading an article that asked this important question. The question was this, have you ever stopped just for a second and considered the far-fetched claims of Christianity at Christmas time? Have you ever stopped and just considered those far-fetched claims of Christianity? During this particular holiday, this week, Christians all over the world, millions and millions of them, pause to think about, to contemplate a first-century Middle Eastern infant mothered by a teenage girl who had never been with a man, born in poverty and from a small, obscure town called Nazareth. This little boy, this child, whose life was, according to the Bible, surrounded by miracles, such as a virgin birth, unexplainable healings, and even resurrection. This child, Christians say, is the answer to all the world's problems. The hope of the universe rests on the belief that this this seemingly far-fetched fairy tale is actually true. The hope of the universe rests on this Seems like a a fairy tale, but it's actually true. This child will grow up and speak these words about himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But what is it exactly that has convinced so many Christians that Jesus is more than just a great human teacher? But that, in fact, he is instead that God the Son, the Word made flesh, very God of very God. What child is this, anyway? Well, the answer to the question is faith. Specifically, we should even say faith in the resurrection. Jesus, born that man no more may die, was crucified, dead and buried, and rose again bodily from the dead. But are we Christians most to be pitied because we believe in a fairy tale? Is there any evidence whatsoever that these claims are true? There was once a man named Saul of Tarsus, and he acted in militant opposition to the Christian religion. In fact, he was a leader of a first century massacre against these followers of Jesus. Yet this Saul of Tarsus later became a disciple of Jesus. And the turning point, the conversion of Saul, happened when he was on his way to Damascus to arrest more Christians. But Jesus, having risen from the dead, met him on the road, temporarily blinded him, and asked him an important question. Saul, why do you persecute me? The message to Saul was clear. In standing against Christians, he was standing against Christ. He was standing against the risen Messiah. And in standing against Christ, the risen Messiah, he was standing against the way, the truth, and the life. And in that moment, this man, Saul, who was was once an up-and-coming leader of the Jews, he became small in his own eyes. But instead of striking Saul down, instead of pouring the wrath of God out on him, Jesus forgave him. And from that point forward... Saul of Tarsus would go on to be known to us as Paul the Apostle, who would later write these words from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience And as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why this child was born in a manger. That's why the word became flesh to save sinners, even the foremost of them. And Paul knew That his words were trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance because Christ Jesus had risen from the dead. 
Because Christ has risen from the dead. This, this is a claim that cannot be made by any other religious founder or any other religious leader. And if Christ Jesus has raised from the dead, everything that Jesus said and did must be accepted as true. This includes things like the virgin birth, the healings, the turning water into wine, those other unbelievable things about this fairy tale are true. Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if they are true then we are able to face death. If they are true, then we're able to face the death of a, of a loved one and let not our hearts be troubled. This is the assurance, this statement, let not your hearts be troubled. This is what Jesus is giving his disciples as we begin John chapter 14. He's just told them at the end of chapter 13 that one of them would betray him. He's just told Peter that, that Peter himself would deny Jesus three times before the rooster would sound his wake-up call the next morning. And yet even more troubling, he's been talking all throughout this about his own death. He's been predicting these things. He's been speaking to them plainly that he was going to go to the cross. But even this night, He's been telling them that he's going to a place that they can't follow. And in the face of his upcoming death, Jesus now gives them some good news. He gives them the same hope that we can have if we were to trust in him. A hope that, that transcends a lonely Christmas holiday and even transcends death itself. So let me read John chapter 14, verses, just verses 1 through 3 this morning. <clears throat> Jesus says this to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Let's just stop there. Let's pray. Father, as we consider the words of Jesus, help us to understand. Help us to find our hope in these words. Not in our circumstances, not in the, the passing joy of the season, but hope in the words of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. So Jesus is facing his own death, even death on a cross. And he's preparing his disciples, uh, the eleven here, uh, for his death as well. And we all uh, probably, uh, at least most of us in here, understand that facing death is especially difficult when the circumstances are hard to understand. So when a life seems shorter than it should have been, shorter than expected, when our loved one is gone too soon, or in the case of Jesus, when it seems to have been, when his life seems to have been senselessly taken. I confess to you that for our loved ones, for us, the question of why is often, kind of truthfully, it's often beyond our grasp. Why did somebody so and so die? Why did they die so young? 
We frequently have no answer that doesn't just simply seem trite in the moment, right? We can put some Bible verses on the answer why, and they may even be true. They are even true. But often it's taken as just a simple trite answer. But Jesus' farewell discourse here all the way through John chapter 17, it gives us answers for the reasons for his death. And he begins by giving us hope. Hope in things that are sure and certain. And so this morning, I'd like for us to consider these few things that are sure and certain so that our confidence would not be found in ourselves or in our own answers or in our own reasoning, but that our confidence would be in the eternal sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And I believe that these words spoken here to his disciples, spoken to the, to the eleven on the eve of his death, literally, I believe these are some of the most comforting words in all of Scripture. And whether you view Christmas as a time of joy or as a time of stress or even distress, we must turn to his words because it is in the words of Jesus Christ that we can find life and hope and peace and comfort and clarity at a time when the world wants us to be distracted. The world wants us to be distracted this week. If you remember, as we've studied through John's gospel, um, I want to remind you that in John chapter 11, when Jesus arrived at the home of his close friends, uh, Mary and Martha, um, after their brother Lazarus had died, John tells us that, that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. And, and then it says that Jesus wept. Even Jesus himself wept at the death of his close friend Lazarus. And so he understands the heaviness that we feel during these times when someone is missing from Christmas dinner. With this understanding that Jesus is a compassionate Savior, we also can know the good news of the hope that we can have through him. So consider with me the words that Jesus Christ spoke just before he went to the cross to bear our sins and open the way of salvation. Listen again to verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus starts off by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Or literally, it actually means stop letting your hearts be troubled. When Jesus says these words to his followers, he's not telling them not to grieve. He's reminding them of the hope that they have in Him. So when He told His followers that He would be leaving them, they were filled with sorrow. They were even filled, especially in Peter's case, with a little bit of indignation. They didn't understand His future plans. Look back at this exchange with Peter in just the previous verses, 36, chapter 13, verses 36 to the end. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And then he said, let not your hearts be troubled. 
Is he trying to confuse them? Is this kind of a a cruel, um, uncompassionate command to those who will be weighed down with grief and fear when he goes to the cross the next day? His own disciples, they must have felt a heaviness when they heard these words. Remember, Thomas had said when when they had headed out to Lazarus' funeral, Thomas had said, let's go also that we can die with him. But Jesus, who is known as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, he understands grief. He had wept at the tomb of Lazarus, knowing full well that in moments he was going to call him out of that grave. He wept. But if you're familiar with the story, remember what is, what is happening here. Jesus' declaration of his uh, imminent departure brought sorrow to the eleven. They didn't understand why he had to leave. They didn't understand where he was going. They were focused on the here and now. And it, it's normal for us to be focused on the, the present, on the momentary. It's normal for us to be absorbed with those people and things that are, that are most precious to us. Family and friends gathering together at Christmas. Here we see the disciples are just absorbed with Christ. It's normal to be caught up with the most pressing issues before us, the, the tyranny of the urgent. And here the disciples could think only of keeping Jesus with them. Peter, I'll go anywhere with you. I would die for you. Will you? But the command of Jesus is, let not your hearts be troubled. I don't want to dwell too much on this, but we need to acknowledge that for some Christians, uh, really not exclusive to Christians either, maybe even um, more so for those who are not believers, but for many, Christmas is one of those holidays that remind them of the sting of death. It reminds some of us of loss, the loss of a marriage, loss of children. But Jesus claimed victory over sin and death through his work on the cross and his resurrection. The only way for us, for you, to have victory over the sting of death is through Jesus Christ. Jesus recognized his disciples were troubled and grieving. They were upset. They were confused. And with great compassion and great wisdom, he told them that their troubles will not last. Let not your hearts be troubled. See, Jesus is directing their attention to something greater. He's directing their attention to something more powerful than their troubles. He's directing their attention to the hope of an eternity that they could spend with God the Father. They can be in the Father's house, he says to them. In this passage, Jesus speaks the first command, let not your hearts be troubled, and then two more commands, believe in God, believe also in me. And so he starts with believe in God. This is not a a God of our own imagination. This is not a God of our own superstitions. This is not a God of our own designs. We don't get to say, well, I think of God as dot, dot, dot. He just says, believe in God. 
So let me tell you what he is saying. He's saying, believe in the God of the Holy Scripture. Believe in the God of the Bible. Believe in the God who is the Father of Jesus Christ, maker of heaven and earth. Believe in God. The God who has given names to all of the stars. The God who knows when a sparrow falls from a tree. The God who knows the very hairs, and in some of our cases, decreasing number of very hairs of our heads. Believe in God. The God who dwells in unapproachable glory. The God who no man has seen or can see. The God who gives life and breath and existence to all things. Believe in God. Believe in the God who is our refuge and strength. The God who is our strong tower and very present help in time of need. The God who is our shepherd, who comforts us with his rod and staff. The God who leads us beside still waters. Believe in God, Jesus says. The God who has chosen for himself a people for his own possession from before the foundation of the world. The God who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us and who freely gives us all things in Christ. Believe in that God. Trust in his infinite majesty. Trust in his goodness, in his loving kindness, in his wisdom, in his mercy. Trust in his love. Trust that he sent his son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Believe in God, Jesus says. And then he gives that third command. Believe also in me. Believe also in me. Have you met this Jesus? Have you met this Jesus? Not the Jesus who is merely a a good teacher. But Jesus Christ is shown to us in his word, in God's word, in the Bible. The unique son of God who is co-equal with the Father and possesses all of the divine attributes. In other words, the Jesus who is fully man, yet also fully God. Believe in Jesus Christ who is eternal and immortal. Believe in Jesus himself who made everything and apart from him nothing came into being that exists. Believe in Jesus, who in the fullness of time was sent by the Father to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was born under the law so that he might redeem those who are slaves to sin. Jesus says, believe also in me. Believe also in Jesus Christ, who who lived a sinless life, though tempted at every point just like we are, and who was therefore a merciful and faithful high priest who knows our weaknesses. Believe in Jesus Christ who preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. Believe in Jesus Christ who healed the sick. Believe in Jesus Christ who gave sight to the blind and raised the dead. Believe in Jesus Christ who welcomed little children to himself, held them in his arms, blessed them, and said, of such is the kingdom of God. Believe in Jesus Christ who fulfilled all righteousness and willingly laid down his life as our Redeemer to satisfy the wrath of God as a propitiation for our sins and who suffered through his bloody death on a cross. Believe in Jesus Christ, who cried out in triumph and victory on the cross, it is finished. Believe in Jesus Christ, who was buried in a borrowed tomb and on the third day was raised back to life by the glory of the Father. 
Believe in Jesus Christ who ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he waits for that time when he will once and for all destroy all sin and death. Believe in Jesus Christ who continues as our great high priest, who rules in sovereign majesty, who will gather his church as his bride, who will judge the living and the dead. Believe in this Jesus who is so full of glory and honor and majesty and power that we know him by many names. The Son of God, the Son of Man, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Good Shepherd, the Way, the Truth, and the Life, the Lamb of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the Beginning and the End, the Great God and Savior Christ Jesus our Lord. Believe in Him. Believe in me, Jesus says. And in so believing, in trusting in him, don't let your heart be troubled because the Father has a big house with lots of rooms. This is the place where the Father and the Son dwell. And Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for all whom he has redeemed through the purchase of his atoning death. Not one of those whom Christ has secured through his death will be missing. There is room in the Father's house for all those that Jesus died to save. None of those who are elected by God's sovereign grace before the foundation of the world, none of those who he redeemed by the price of Jesus' own death will be absent from the Father's house. There is room in the Father's house for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. And here is the hope. If you are one of those for whom Jesus has gone to prepare a place, he says this, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is the hope of Christmas. This is also why the song Joy to the World, we're going to sing in a minute, That's why the song Joy to the World isn't necessarily a Christmas song, although it's not a not Christmas song. It's actually a song of of hope and fulfillment. It's a song of everything bad coming untrue. It's a song of hope, a song that proclaims, no more let sins and sorrows grow. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's the hope that's available to all of us today. The Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 10. He wrote these words, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so rejoice. God rest ye merry, gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. 
Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let not your hearts be troubled. There is plenty of room for you in the Father's house. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we consider these words, these three commandments of Christ that are commanded in compassion and love, Father, it is only in you that we can let not our hearts be troubled. And so we cry out often with the poor man, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Help our unbelief, Lord. Keep our eyes from wandering from Christ, but that we would believe in Christ, believing in God, remembering remembering that he has promised to come again. And so, Father, I pray that we would be able to sing praises to your name from a joyful hearts, that we might proclaim joy to the world. The Lord has come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.